Hi guys, uh, Pastor Greg Corcoran here from Battlefield Baptist Church. Uh, pray that this sermon is a blessing, an encouragement, and a challenge to you in your walk with the Lord. Additionally, I just wanted to say that if we here at Battlefield can ever be a blessing to you, please don't hesitate to contact us. And the best way to do that is through our website at battlefieldbaptist.org. Again, I pray this sermon blesses you, encourages you, and uh, that you'll fall more in love with God, more in love with his word, and more in love with people. Let's look at what the Apostle Paul says here in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse number 1. He says, do we begin again to commend ourselves, or need we, as some others, epistles of commendation to you, or letters of commendation from you? He says, ye are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read of all men. For as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. Isn't that good? Fleshly tables of the heart. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for the time that we've had to sing praises unto your holy name. God, we're thankful for the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Lord, we're thankful for the payment that was paid so that we might be forgiven, so that we might have everlasting life. Lord, what a day that will be when we see you face to face. And the suffering and the strains and the, the problems of this world will be a mere faded memory. Lord, I pray that today, that as we look at your word, God, that you would open up our hearts, that your word might fall upon the good soil of our hearts. God, that it would spring forth and do that exactly thing, that thing that you exactly desire today. Lord, I pray if there's somebody here or somebody watching that doesn't know Christ as their Savior, Lord, I pray that today, you would open up the eyes of their understanding. God, that the word of God might fall upon their heart. God, that they might uh, open up and receive the greatest gift that has ever been given to mankind. The gift of forgiveness through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Father, I pray for those who are believers here today that we would all pay particular attention to what you're having to say to us today. And Lord, we'll be careful to give you the praise and the honor for all that you'll do over the next few moments of time. And we give you the praise and honor in the precious name of Jesus and for his sake, amen and amen. Well, today I want to talk to you on the topic of what does your epistle say? And so the word epistle is not something that we go around a lot saying, hey brother, how, what's your epistle saying? Literally what you need to know from the right offset is that the word epistle literally means letter. And so the question for us to start to ponder as we get into this text is, what is it that your letter is saying? Sadly, writing letters seems to be a forgotten art. And what a shame it is. It, it, it seems to be a forgotten art. In the busyness of life, letters have been replaced with quick emails, texting, and even more abbreviated or coded text messages with emojis and animojis. But I can tell you 
that these rapid forms of communication, although they may be the standard of the day, I can assure you that sending an emoji or an animoji will never, ever replace a well-written letter. I remember years ago, uh, it seemed like with great regularity because we didn't have text, we didn't have email, we didn't have uh, the ability to call. You see, when I was a little kid, you had to pay extra money to call long distance. And let me tell you, when there were five of us boys and then five boys and three girls, if we were calling long distance to talk to grandma or grandpa, guess what? How much time you got as one of those kids? You got about 30 seconds. Hi, grandpa. Hi, grandma. We love you. Bye-bye. Because the clock was ticking. And so what we would receive is letters, and we would send letters. And I remember that I really honed my writing skills back in high school. Back in high school and in the Marine Corps, I honed in on my writing skills. You see, those were the days when I was able to write the most amazing love letters. <laughs> Woo! Man, if you could go back and see those letters, I'm sure they've been destroyed. But whatever. You know, and the beautiful thing about those letters, I mean, back in high school... I know kids have the ability to text and they got Apple phones and whatever, iPhones or whatever they got, right? And they just send a quick text message or a little smiley face or whatever. Back in high school, and some of you know what I'm talking about, we had, the, we, we had a better system than the U.S. Postal Service, right? We would, we would write a letter, fold it up, and then in between classes, I would pass it to one of Krista's friends who would pass it to another friend who would pass it to another friend. And then by the time it got to her, it had been through three or four hands. But the beautiful thing I remember is when I was in the Marine Corps, and even before then, once in a while, I'd get a letter back. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You guys, I'd get a letter back, and sometimes... I don't know if any of you guys, if you've never gotten a letter like this, just guys, ask your wife, ask your girlfriend to send you a letter, right? I, I used to get letters back, and sometimes she'd spray a little perfume on there. Man, that was a great letter. I didn't really take much time to read what was inside, but it was a good letter. I got news for you. A text message can't do that. An emoji cannot do that. I'm the king of an emojis, right? I've got the whole thing that's got this guy that's got glasses and gray hair and he shakes his head and he does all these things. But I can tell you that will never replace a letter. Interestingly enough, I put in my notes here, history was and has been recorded and passed on through letters. It was in a letter to Queen Isabella that Christopher Columbus first shared the news of the New World. Galileo first revealed the secrets of his telescope to his colleagues in a letter. French chemist and microbiologist Louis Pasteur, known as the father of germ theory for you science fans, first shared his medical marvels of pasteurization and immunology with his children in a letter. Before he shared it with the rest of the world, he shared it with his children in a letter. And yes, as I stated, letters have often been used by many people to be the very first time that they shared feelings of love with someone else. It's been said that letters tell us more about the writer than they do the subject. 
Sometimes letters even tell us what we don't want to know. Have you ever gotten a letter and it tells you what you don't want to know? Sometimes letters have the ability to tell us that. But the reality is, the writings are always a true reflection of the writer's soul. I think about letters, all kinds of letters, and and I have weird writing habits when I'm writing freehand or even when I'm typing. And if you saw my notes on a Sunday, you would be like, what is going on? How does he even make his way through that? But some letters use bold and capital letters for emphasis. Some letters, they use italics for emphasis or to highlight something. Some letters are short, some are long, some carry urgent messages, while others are casual in nature. Some letters actually are just sent to announce something. It used to be, before you get these cute little announcements or Facebook videos or something like that, letters would be sent to announce the birth of a child or a party or weddings. Letters are sent to demand things. Usually those come from bill collectors. The electric company, the gas company, they come with a demand for payment. But the bottom line is that each of us, now here's where I want you to see the principle. Paul, talking to the church at Corinth, he talks about them being epistles. Each of us are letters as well. Your life is a letter. The question is, what is our life saying? What does our letter communicate to those around us and to those that we come into contact? When people read and see our letters, what are they reading? It's important because whether we know it or not, whether we like it or not, our lives are communicating a message. Amen? Have you ever communicated a message verbally or otherwise that you wish you could take back? Anybody? You ever throw something out of the mouth there and you're like, I wish I could pull it back in? That's exactly what happens when we consider our our responsibility as those who have a letter that has been written. If you're a believer, Christ has written a letter inside of your heart. Notice our text again. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, the Bible says, beginning in verse number 1, it says, do we begin again to commend ourselves or need we? What he's saying is, do we need, as some others, a letter of, of commendation to you or do we need a letter of recommendation from you? Paul was asking for himself. He says, hey, listen, do I need to get some kind of letter of, a, of recommendation from you or for you? And then verse 2, he says, he says you are our letter. That word epistle, he says, you're our letter written or engraved in our hearts, known and read of all men, for as much as you are manifestly declared. In other words, what he's saying, he's saying, it's so apparent that your letter has been written by Jesus Christ. He said, it's clearly apparent that when people see you and people know what's going on in this church, they're actually reading what has been written on their heart by Jesus Christ. That's a novel thought, but it's also a very important thought for us as believers. He says, they were not written with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in the fleshly tables of the heart. During this time in history, letters were the most talked about documents of the day. They were the so-called broadcasting system, if you please. And in fact... Each new letter that would come, they would be read and they would be reread over and over, especially with people who were eager to hear what thus saith the word of God. People, if they wanted to hear what God said, they were eager to hear what these letters would say. And so as Paul 
was being inspired by God and using uh, uh, ink and whatever to write a letter to these churches, they would have been eager to hear because they were eager to learn. Do you know today, I'm not so sure there's a great eagerness to hear what God's word has to say like it was back in this day. In the early church, these people were excited to hear what was taking place. These letters inspired by God and written by Paul not only served as their sermon notes, but they served as teaching curriculum for the church. By the way, that's what's happening even today. We're still using the letter that was written to the church at Corinth, not only for our sermon notes, but as teaching curriculum for us today. And so there's some great things that we can see. Paul uses the metaphor of a letter when referencing these believers because he's saying, hey guys, you are an example. You're an example of what God's word can do in a person's life. In other words, the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, Paul said in Romans 1.16 that it was the power of God unto salvation. So you think about the gospel of Jesus Christ, the power of God unto salvation. What he's saying to this church is he said, hey guys, it's on full display. You can't hide. See, people are watching. They see you. They're determining what your relationship with Jesus Christ is based on how you're living. Now see, we can look at the, the basic context is that, hey, he's saying, you are letters written of Jesus Christ, whether you like it or not. But for us, I think the principle would be to take it a step further and say, okay, what is that letter saying? Once I get beyond the step of salvation, what is my letter communicating to a lost world around me? I think about how God's word had impacted different people in scripture. And I just put a few down. I think about Matthew, who was once a tax collector. He left it all to follow and serve God's only son. Think about Mary Magdalene. She went from being demon-possessed to actually being a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Nicodemus, a ruler, a legal expert of the Jewish people. He becomes one of two people. See, in John chapter 3, we don't have the whole story. But by the time we get to the end of John, right, John chapter 21, we see that Nicodemus is one of two people caring for the crucified Savior. So we know that there was something that changed in Nicodemus' life. Think about the woman at the well. Jesus had no business communicating with this woman. And yet he had all the business in the world communicating with this woman. She went from being someone who was morally bankrupt to being a living translation of God's amazing grace. Do you know that each and every one of us who have been saved are living translations of God's amazing grace? How sweet the sound of that amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. I once was blind, but now I'm found, right? Now I see. Once was lost, now I'm found. I'm blind, now I see. Let me get it right. Look at verse 2, just a couple of things from our text again. In verse 2, Paul says, you, he says, you are a letter written in our hearts. He said, it's engraved in my heart. I don't need a letter of commendation because I have you 
as proof of what God is doing in and through the ministry that he has called me to. You see, because if you go back at the end of chapter 2, Paul had been sharing. You can look up at it on your own there. He had been sharing in verse 14. You can see it. And then in verse 17, at the end of chapter 2, he's been sharing that God was the one that had caused him to triumph at, uh, in Christ. And so as he goes around preaching and teaching the word of God, he's giving glory to God. But just as it happened back then, it happens today, Mr. and Mrs. Curmudgeon from the Corinth Baptist Church. See, it's, a, it's very important how we live our lives. Because it's not said, but evidently Mr. and Mrs. Curmudgeon, could have been both of them, someone or a group of someones, must have come along and thought Paul was in some way trying to magnify himself. And so when you get to the beginning of chapter 3... He says, hold on, do I need to commend myself? Do I need some type of letter of recommendation from you? Or do I need a letter of recommendation to you? He says, you're actually written on our hearts. You've been engraved on my heart. I don't need a letter because you are the letter of what God has done in this place. But what has God done in this place? What has God done in this place? Bring it down individually. What has God done in this place? If he's a written a letter in our heart, it's pretty important how we live. And so therefore, if you look at verse 1 again of the text, Paul begins to ask these questions about needing a letter of recommendation. And he quickly says, hey, listen, my letter of recommendation is written in my heart. And it's known and read of all men. I think that's probably the most stark thing of all. He says it's known, in verse 2, known and read of all men. Do you know people are reading you today? You will leave this place today. Some of you will go to a place of uh, a, a restaurant or go pick up some carryout or you'll go home. Your neighbors are watching. The people who are sitting across from you are watching. I remember years ago, and I don't mean to embarrass him, and, and that's not my goal, but I was pretty taken back. Years ago, I remember Casey going to a certain dance at high school. And the idea, you know what I'm going to talk about. You remember, they went to this uh, restaurant down here, Bonefish, Bonefish Grill. You know, for a high schooler to go to Bonefish Grill, you know he's being subsidized by dad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This player's being subsidized, uh, probably 100%. So, you know, <laughs> what do you do? <laughs> so here's what this guy does. I didn't tell him to do this. I didn't tell him to do this. He asks the young lady who's going to the dance with him at the time, he says, let's pray over our meal. Whoa, hold on a second. And he went to public school? Listen, I'm in favor of Christian education, don't get me wrong, but you know what? There's some good kids in public school as well. Let's not write them all off. Let's not write them all off. He says, let's pray over our meal. They pray. They go on. I don't know. They probably ordered salads, right? They're trying to keep it down. Into the meal comes, and he's waiting. He's like, hey, we got to get to the school. We got to get to this, this dance thing. Couldn't find a waiter. Hey, waiter, we need, to, we need the bill. We need to check, please. I got to go. Guess what had happened? Another couple, an older couple, 
much older than me, probably. <laughs> they had paid their check. People are watching. I remember years ago, we living in Centerville, Virginia. Came home on a May afternoon, and a neighbor across the street, she came frantically running across the street. She did, didn't she? We pulled up. This is back in the minivan days, right? You got the car seats and everything, and I think Casey Byron was probably just, a, yeah, he was like minute. Not so minute anymore. Uh, he was like this, you know, in the carrier. She comes running across. She says, she says, you got to come. You got to come. You got to come. I said, what? We just rolled in from church. I said, what's going on? She says, come on across, please, please. Tears flowing from her eyes. You got to come pray with my husband and I. Today is the anniversary of us losing our son. Their son was killed over here in Manassas on that drag strip car flipped and killed him years earlier and I just asked I don't know what caused me to ask I said why would you want me to come pray with you and she said because we've been watching you that's scary I'm like you know I'm married right I mean she said, we've been watching you and your wife for six years. And I believe you are a man of God. And she said, I need you to pray to God that God would comfort our hearts. Because every year when we get to this date, we're just torn up. And today is the day. Would you come and pray for us and pray with us? Folks, can I tell you? This is what Paul was saying. He says, listen. I don't need a letter of commendation. I don't need somebody like some false teacher that needed a letter when they first showed up in Corinth, by the way. They needed a letter of commendation or recommendation. He says, I don't need those things. And he says, I wasn't bragging about me. I was bragging about Jesus. And he said, guess what? I was bragging about Jesus because you are the letter that is engraved in our heart. This is why I've stayed here. This is why I've lived with you. This is why I've served with you and served you. I've done everything I could because you are a letter that has been written by Jesus Christ. And guess what? That letter is known and read of all men. And the reality is the same is true for us. Paul didn't need some secondhand letter. He had the real deal. They were an epistle of Christ. In fact, Paul's letter personally wasn't some human document of his own writing of ink that could fade away. Even Paul's life was a living testimony, a living document. This is a guy who went from murderer to missionary. This is a guy who took pleasure in persecuting the church of Jesus Christ. This is a guy who took pleasure in putting people to death or putting them in jail or in bonds. And his life was totally, radically changed because he became an epistle written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God in his heart. And if you're a believer, that's exactly what has taken place in your life. Flip over one page to, uh, actually it's not one page, a few pages back to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I think about all that Paul went through and we could go there and see all the things that he faced and I even alluded to some of those things last week 
But it's clear that God's power was at work in his life, even when he came to Corinth. And we see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul had gone to great lengths to serve the spiritual needs of the church. But notice what he writes, beginning in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and then in verse number 1 and following. He says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, I came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. Now, if you compare Scripture with Scripture, you could actually do a fun little uh, field trip and go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 10. It'll remind you that Paul's body was weak. We know that he had a thorn in the flesh and he asked God to remove it time and time and time again. And God said, what did he say? What was his answer? Yeah, the first part was no. No, no, no. My grace is sufficient for you. That was his answer. And so we know, Paul says here, he says, I came not with the excellency of speech or wisdom declaring unto you the testimony of God. In fact, my body was weak, and many times my words, if you look at Paul's history, every time he goes into the synagogue, his words were detestable to some people. They were controversial to people. And so it wasn't like he was going in, oh, look at what I'm telling you. These people stoned him. And left him for dead for what he was saying. So this is what he's saying to the church here. Look in verse number 2 of this passage. He says, For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Remember last week I told you that for Paul, making much of Jesus is what mattered the most. He says, Hey, listen. Even when he writes to the church at Philippi, I count myself not to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, I forget those things that are behind. I forget my pedigree. I forget all the things that have been going on in my life. All the things that I thought were gain, I counted for loss. All those things that I thought were something, I counted them as dung. He said, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You see, so there's connectivity all through Scripture. Look at verse 3. He says, and I was with you in weakness. He was conscious of his own feebleness. He didn't think more highly of himself. He says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And, and folks, you're going to see something and you're going to say, see, it's contradictory. Paul said he was in fear and weakness. And then we go over and he writes Timothy that God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Pastor Greg, those things just can't be true. What Paul is saying is he knew there were bad people out to get him. I don't know about you, when bad guys are trying to get you, you might get a little fearful at times. His body was weak, but he was connected to Jesus Christ. And he had a confidence that the message he had is exactly what had changed these people in Corinth. You remember his first letter to the church at Corinth was about correcting all kind of problems. But here in 2 Corinthians, his second letter, he's saying, listen, you're an epistle of Christ. He said, known and read of all men, people are watching. People can see that you are connected to the source of life. And it matters. Verse 4, he says, And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words as man's wisdom, but in demonstration, here he goes, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. God was continuing to write Paul's letter or story. And as he was doing that, he was beginning to write the story of those in Corinth. Oh, what a Savior we serve. And lest you think this is 
the only time that he said something like this, he said the same thing to the church at Thessalonica. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, in verse number 5, Paul says this. He says, For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in what? In power. I got the power. I didn't say I am the power. I got the power. The word of God is quick and powerful. It's alive. It's a living, breathing document. Our God is alive forevermore. Say amen, please. I hope you, I hope you believe that he's alive forevermore. And by the way, whether you believe it or not, it ain't going to change it one bit. One day, one day every knee is going to bow. Why not do it now? Why not do it now? What are we, what are we waiting for? Well, brother, I'm going to get saved one of these days. Let me tell you something. You don't have a, a, a blank check on tomorrow. We don't, we don't have a guarantee that you, you say, well, when I turn 55 like you, I'm going, I'm going to get saved. Good luck with that. Good luck with that. Because not everybody lives to see 55. You see, as believers, we have a letter that is alive. It's not being written with ink that can fade away. My story and your story, the letter of your life, if Christ has written that letter in your heart, it continues to be a living document. And the reality is his divine and supernatural power and his transforming power through the Holy Spirit of God continues to work inside of us. And I just think it matters what that letter says. You say, well, then that means I have to do everything and God does nothing. No, I didn't say let go and let God and all these different phrases or pull yourself up by your bootstraps. I'm just saying, man, if you've been transformed by the power of God, then we ought to live like it. What we say matters. What we do matters. Where we go matters. Who we hang around with matters. What you type on Facebook matters. How you show love and empathy and compassion to one another matters because we are read and known of all men. And if people see that we're not like Jesus, guess what? They check out and they say, I don't want any part of that. You ever hear someone say, well, I'm not going to go up there on the hill to the church because that church is full of hypocrites. So is Walmart, but they still go. <laughs> Guys, we are just clay in the master's hands. We need to stop resisting the fact that he is trying to mold us and make us after his will day in and day out. Look back at verse 3 again. He says, for as much as you are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, he says, it's apparent to everyone that you are a letter that has been written by Jesus Christ, not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Now watch this, the very last phrase. He says, not in tables of stone, but in the fleshly tables of the heart. He throws a quick reference back to God's law, and it's Paul, basically he's saying, God's done more than write some laws on a stone tablet. By the way, he did that before. Did that change everybody's behavior? He sent them the stone tablets a couple of times. <laughs> did it a couple of times. That didn't always change somebody's outlook. But when his commands, when his principles are written in our heart, 
That makes all the difference in the world. He essentially says this in the Old Testament as well. You say, well, this sounds like a New Testament message only. No, he said it in the Old Testament as well. In fact, in Jeremiah 31, 33, here's what the Bible says. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in the inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. Ezekiel 11, chapter 11, verse 19 says, And I will give them one heart and put a new spirit within you and I will take the stony heart out of their flesh and will give them a heart of flesh. Listen, once God writes on our hearts, we begin to write letters through the lives we lead. And guess what? They're known and read of all men. You, you may not think somebody's watching you. They are. They are. It is so incredibly important. <laughs> Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27 says this. says, A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. Verse 27, And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments and do them. In essence, when God writes on our hearts, here's the, here's the thing. We become billboards for him. In fact, I was going to say, Gordon, in your class, it was a whole list of things you were talking about, the speech and everything, and I didn't want to spoil the party because it was great. It was great to hear all the feedback. The reality is that when Jesus Christ comes in, you and I are ambassadors. Therefore, we don't have a choice. We represent the king. Hold on a second. Thank you, Wes. The 20, you look so much younger, Wes. You look great. Yes, you did. <laughs> yes, you went to the barber too. We represent, guys, please, we don't represent the president. I don't care who's sitting in the White House. We represent the King Jesus. He is Lord of Lords. And one day, I just referenced it. You know every knee's going to bow. I don't care if they're a congressman, congresswoman, senator, uh, governor, uh, school board member. I don't care who they are. One day, the knee's going to bow. Well, that's pretty harsh. No, it's not. It's actually what God's Word actually says. I didn't write it. God says every knee's going to bow one day. I just think we ought to do it now. The reality is that as believers, every believer, we have this letter. It's been started and it's being written by Jesus Christ. It starts at salvation. And so I just think like Paul, we ought to live. We ought to live and we ought to pattern our lives after Jesus. We ought to live and pattern our lives after Jesus. In fact, if we're an ambassador... We have a responsibility. We have not only an opportunity, as we talked about carpe diem over the past six messages, but we have a responsibility to represent him well. And after he told the Corinthians, look at verse number four, which we didn't read. After he tells the Corinthians that their letters written by Jesus Christ, not written with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, in verse number four, here's what Paul says. He says, and such trust have we through Christ to Godward. 
The word trust here means reliance or confidence or conviction. And so Paul's determination to be like Jesus Christ sprang from his conviction that Jesus was actually the source of life. Therefore, he tells the folks, he says, listen, my ministry is not accredited because of me. My ministry is accredited because of Jesus. If you're looking for accreditation. See, that's what all the students, they get out of high school, they want to make sure they're going to a college or university that's accredited. That's why a lot of people didn't go to Bible colleges back in the day because they weren't accredited according to this world. But you know, the wisdom of the world is what? Hey, if we want to be accredited, we need look no further. We've been accredited by Jesus Christ because he's the one that writes the letter in our hearts, not us. He's the one that had changed the hearts of those in Corinth. In fact, in verse number five, Paul points to the fact that his sufficiency came from God. He's saying, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything of ourselves, but our sufficiency or our ability to minister, our ability to serve, our ability to write a letter that brings God honor and glory, it is all coming from God. And you and I need to understand the same thing. Turn with me quickly, because we're going to wrap this up. Philippians chapter two. Philippians chapter two. I want you to see, if we're going to live and we're going to pattern our lives after Jesus Christ, we need to see what's being said in Philippians chapter 2, because this is, this is Paul writing to the church at Philippi, and I've already said he was patterning, patterning, patterning his life after Jesus Christ. Say that ten times fast. Notice what he says beginning in verse number 5. He says, let this mind be in you. What mind? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. In other words, if you want to pattern your life after Jesus, here's going to be something real theologically high. Just be like Jesus. Oh, thanks. Let me write that down. I'm going to write that down and I'm going to take that. Uh, you, didn't, you didn't set the bar too high, did you? No, I didn't. Because with his strength, we can do all things. No, anything according to his will, we can do it. And I believe he wants us to be just like him. He set the example Listen, the only way that being like Jesus or thinking like Jesus happens is by knowing Jesus. And so if you don't know Jesus, you got to get in the door. you got to get in the race, so to speak. Trust him as the Lord and Savior of your life. You're never really going to say, well, I know a lot about Jesus. No, I got it. But do you know him? There's a difference. I can do all the book study. I can have all the theological thinking in, in my life. And it can all be right up here. But until it makes a move from here to here, does you no good and does me no good. Be like Jesus. I've often said it this way. A lot of people, some of you probably get tired of this broken record. Paul said, let this mind right here. He said, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. If you're going to be like Jesus, you've got to have the mind of Christ, and here's the mind of Christ. You've got to get into God's Word. You've got to take time, and guys, I know it's busy. I know it's 2022. I know you just had a 23-hour day. You feel shortchanged from yesterday, but you can spend a little bit of time with Jesus. 
Hold on. We can spend a little time with Jesus. In fact, I would dare say that if we spent more time with Jesus and less time with the world, our lives, our families, our jobs, our loved ones, everything else would start to fall in line. The problem is we put ourselves above Jesus. We put, our, we put Jesus over to the side and we keep him as a little toy that we play with on Sunday and then we go Monday through Saturday with no Jesus and then we wonder why our, our families are crumbling. We wonder why our job's in disarray. We wonder why, you know, all kind of things are going wrong. He has to be preeminent. And the truth is the closer that you and I get to Jesus, the greater our understanding of him and his character will be. By the way, you want to be like Jesus? It's right here in the text too. It says, be humble. He thought it not robbery. You know, he could have been equal with God, but he thought it not robbery. He humbled himself. He shows us, Jesus shows us that the way up is down. Hold on, Jesus is God. He didn't have to humble. He could have called uh, 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 10,000 angels and be like, uh, let me show you who's in charge. But he didn't do it. He humbled himself to the will of the Father. And in so doing, he sets a great example for us, an example of a humble servant. I put in my notes, be obedient as well. By the way, this is where the truth of our life's letter begins to form. See, because you can tell me you know God's word, but unless you're willing to do what God's word has to say, it really doesn't change us at all. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the Bible says, Let no man deceive you, in verse 18 and 19, If any man among you seem to be wise in this world, let him become a fool. Let him become a fool that he may be wise, for the wisdom of the world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he taketh the wise in their own craftiness. Sometimes I can tell you this from my own life. Obedience will not make sense. Have you ever, ever known that you needed to take a step of obedience and you're like, this cannot be God's plan for my life. Finley, Ohio is not God's plan for my life. Cold, blustery uh, winds coming out of Michigan and the Great Lakes right there along. No, that's not, no. But God says get up and go. He means get up and go. Every time, oh, I won't say every time, but most of the time, when I go to a sunny and a warm space, I stop and I pray. Like, Holy Spirit, come. Come and speak to my heart right now. And then about three seconds later, my wife says, go ahead, pull, let's go. Because a lot of times I'll do it for funny, funny, fun with her. I'll stop the car and just be like, and she'll say, what are you doing? I said, shh. I'm listening for the small, still voice of God that says, I need you here in sunny California to plant a church. I need you here in warm Florida in January to plant a church. And then I just look at her and I said, nope, he wants us to go back to Virginia. <laughs> oh, my friends, be obedient. You know, the Bible says there's a way. Proverbs 14, 12 says there's a way which seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. It was David Overton. Many of you don't know or remember Dr. David Overton. His daughter... And uh, husband, Mitch and Beth Calmese, they're missionaries in Tanzania. And uh, Johanna was here with us. Uh, bless her heart. She struggled with cancer, Mark. She was the woman that I was telling you had some of this stuff going on with her mouth and her chemotherapy. Here's what he said in his book, A Pattern for Living. 
He said we can pattern ourselves after the earthly life of Jesus Christ by reading about his life in the Bible. We can also learn to have the mind of Christ in everything we do. He said these are the things that every believer can, now watch it, can what? Choose to do. You and I have a choice every day. We can either get into God's word and learn about the mind of Christ or we can say, you know what, that was nice. I'll be back on Sunday morning. You say, Pastor, why are you so passionate? Why are you so, you're, you're a little headstrong on this message today that we need to pattern our lives as living letters. We ought to pattern our lives after Jesus Christ. Yes, I'm pretty headstrong on it because secondly, not only do we need to pattern our lives after Jesus, I think it's important that we know why. The reason why is, yes, we are his ambassadors, but I think the greater reason is secondly, I put down here, people, other people are reading the letter. If I don't represent Jesus well, then what am I doing? What am I doing if I'm not representing him well? Because verse 2 says that we're known and read of all men. As followers of Jesus Christ, people ought to be able to clearly determine that we have the living Savior residing inside of us. Oh, listen, if there's no inner relationship, the letter's going to reflect that as well. And so as I close, let me ask you, what does your epistle or letter say? Is your letter an unselfish letter or is it a selfish letter? Is your letter one that speaks of obedience to the word of God or is it a letter that speaks of disobedience? It'll get quieter here. Is it a calm letter? Or is it a letter, your life's letter, a letter of anger? Is your letter one that exercises forgiveness? Or are you someone who only enjoys forgiveness and choose to exercise unforgiveness? You know, some of the most unforgiven people in the world are believers. That's crazy to me. Some of the most unforgiving people in the world are believers. And the reason we choose not to forgive is because I just don't feel like it. That's the reason we, when it comes down, the bottom line, brass tacks, it ends up being... Well, why can't you just forgive your husband? Why can't you just forgive your wife? Kids, listen, I'm just going to be honest with you. I've made a lot of mistakes as dad. I pray that my kids forgive me for the mistakes I've made, for where I've fallen short. But you know, that's okay because that's why I need a Savior. Because I'm covered with flesh and I fell short of God's glory. And God said, guess what? I love you enough to forgive you of that. I love you enough to die on the cross for you and to give you life everlasting. Are we forgiving people? We love to tout that Jesus saves. Jesus saves. I've heard the joyful sound that Jesus saves. And then yet we see a brother or sister in need of forgiveness and we say, talk to the hand. Last week I shared with you that Paul's letter was a crucified letter. Remember, he said it to the church in Galatia. He said in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, he said, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life I now live, the letter, 
The letter has been written by Christ and the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You remember last week Paul said in Acts chapter 20, he says, I think it's verse 22, he says, I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing what shall befall me there. And then you get down to verse number 24 of our text last week. Remember he said, but none of these things move me. I'm not concerned because my letter has been written by Jesus Christ, and my letter is a letter of crucifixion, one in which I died a self and I live for him. That's where we need to be as Christ followers. In Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 10, he says that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. Listen, if you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ, you've never experienced the power of his resurrection, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? I beg you, quit sitting on the sideline waiting for some other shoe to drop or for some other thing to take place in your life. You say, you know a lot about Jesus. How about trusting him? How about just saying, Jesus, I know a lot about you. I know that you died in my place. Today, I want to trust you. I'm asking you to forgive me. I'm asking you to come into my life and become the Lord and Savior of my life. By the way, I've often said everybody loves the Savior. But guess what? There is no Savior without a Lord. You say, well, that's not true, brother. I can, I can accept the Savior. No, no, he has to be your Lord. He has to be your Lord. Maybe you're saved and you know him, but you also know that your life's letter. Although it's being read and it's known and read of all men, maybe you know that your letter needs a new page. I need a new chapter or a new page in my letter. I need to hunger and thirst for righteousness. I need a new page of humility. I need a new page of servanthood. I need a new page of walking in obedience to God's word. I need a new page, a page in which I walk by faith instead of fear. I need a new page of dealing with problems in a biblical way instead of my way. See, that's where we get off track many times. We start to deal with our own problems and we think, man, I have the answers. I can figure this out. Without Christ, we don't really do a great job of figuring things out. Maybe your letter just needs a new page of whatever. You fill in the blank. I don't know what you're going through, but I do know this. That our Lord Jesus Christ is the one who writes the letter. That's what Paul told him. He was so thankful that the Corinthian believers were an example of that. But I think for us, and I'm excited for everyone who is has that letter that's been written in your heart. But I also think that it's important that we pattern our lives in such a way that as that letter continues to be written, that it's a letter that actually speaks well of our Savior. And I encourage you today, if you need to trust Christ, trust Him. If you're here today and you know Christ, but you know that you're not living the way that you should live, You've not given yourself completely wholly to the Lord. I encourage you to do that. Walk in His statutes and His ways. Because I can tell you, His thoughts and His ways are much higher than ours. There's a way that seems right unto man, but the ways thereof are the ways of death. Father, we thank You for Your love. We thank You for Your Word. God, as we prepare for baptism, God, I pray that You would speak to hearts and lives. If there's somebody in this room that's never trusted Christ, I pray that they will do that, that they will recognize your love, recognize the truth of your word that says that they can call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. 
God, I pray that you'll do that. Lord, if there's somebody here that is saved, but they know that their life's letter that's known and read of all men is, a, is, is one that is a little confusing to read because it has a beginning that talks about how you change them, but their life is really not reflecting that change. Lord, I pray that you will burden their heart. God, to draw near to you while you're near this very moment. The Bible says now is the accepted time. Lord, whether, you, whether they're those who need Jesus or those who just need to come back to the throne of God's grace and mercy to find help and, and grace in their time of need, God, whatever the situation is, God, I pray that you'll work during this song of invitation. God, will be careful to give you the praise for it. In Jesus' name.